Welcome back, everybody, to Drive Into the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike, joined as always by Dante and Tommy. So uh, this is actually a very special episode we're doing here. I don't know if any of you guys knew this, but it was actually Dante's birthday recently. So Tommy and I got together. uh, We bought him a Corey Joseph jersey, and we told him (laughs) that we'd spend this entire episode just talking about the career and the life of of Corey Joseph. So uh, none of that is true. I had uh, no idea. What you were, I was like, "This is birthday." <laughs> yeah, like, oh, I, I don't know. know I did, oh, happy so. birthday, dude! <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I think you'd probably end up burning that jersey if we be oh honest. But uh, so, yeah, we're just gonna we're just really gonna launch into talking about uh, just our recent observations on the team. Really, uh, it's yeah. been probably about a week and a half since we last recorded. We're on just after, uh, really, a couple hours after the Pistons loss against uh, the Sacramento Kings, which had some good and and some bad. So, uh, Dante, you were just the butt of the joke. Uh, where would you like to start? Uh, <laughs> that was a good one. That, that was a good one because I, I forgot my own birthday for a second there. I was like, what's what's going on? But as, as far as the game is concerned, I mean, well, where do we want to start? Do we want uh, Just to, in general. I mean, uh, general? Yeah, we, yeah, we really haven't... Uh, we haven't had the chance to do this in a little while. Uh, I yeah. feel like a lot has happened since then, uh, yeah. including, for example, the, the Rockets-Pistons matchup and some other stuff, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Yes, talk about. There's, there's been, it's been up and down. Um, I would say in terms of what matters to me the most, and what matters to me the most this season is, is obviously Cade. It's been up and up and up and even more up. So that's good. And obviously, we're gonna, we're gonna really get into it. But as far as in general is concerned, I mean, I, you guys know how much I hate the Raptors. It's, it's nice to win one against the Raptors. It was very nice to beat Houston, you know, because I think Cade soundly outplayed Jalen Green. But the, the issues that I am having with the team are probably the same issues that you guys are having. And that I think we all understand that it's a rebuild, but it's not normal to come out and be completely non-competitive um, night after night after night. It just feels like this, this, this group can't seem to string together more than a game or two of being competitive before it completely falls apart. And that's, that's bad basketball. Nobody wants to watch that. Qu- quite honestly, it's, it's, it's a little exhausting. You know, if Cade wasn't out there improving each and every game, I would be struggling to turn the TV on. So it's, that's probably yeah. where I would start with my thoughts. Yeah, there have been some difficult times, without a doubt. Tonight against the Kings, the first quarter was just painful to watch. I mean, I'm sure, obviously, the players weren't really getting it done. The coaching was really frustrating. Dwayne Casey is not the most imaginative guy. I mean, I feel like his flaws as a coach, namely just being very simple-minded offensively and very rigid, are very pretty much well-established at this point throughout the entirety of his Raptors tenure, uh, which really ended with, in his Coach of the Year season, Masai Ujiri, who's the, the general manager for the Raptors, taking the offense away from him, saying we're going to a modern offense now. And Nick Nurse, who's now the head coach of the, the Raptors and is, is one of the coach of the year himself, and Nick Nurse is going to run it. And then you know, he comes to the Pistons and he's made some improvements, but unimaginative, rigid, doesn't seem to game, in my opinion, doesn't seem to game well from the offensive end. Is more of a how does this player fit into my system rather than how can I maximize this player. But there are def- yeah, definitely the Cavaliers game was the low point of the season for me, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. Tommy, I know you were about as kind of like I don't want to say traumatized off you. That's quite a word, but I know you were you're just as, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Just, no, just about how how thoroughly the Pistons were exposed in that game. The weaknesses of this team, like the weaknesses in terms of being very slow, not athletic, and vertically challenged. 
Yeah. They got slashed up by the Cavs. Yep. That Cavaliers game just kind of exposed the issues within the front court of this team. And I guess to start, you just kind of have to address this elephant in the room because Isaiah Stewart has not had a good season thus far. And I know part of that is probably the fact that he had a fairly significant injury over the summer, but the verdict, the lack of verticality. I mean, I feel like we've hammered this point over and over and over, but against the Cavaliers, especially it was just glaringly obvious. Isaiah Stewart is just really struggling to play against guys who are uh, taller and who can jump higher than him. And part of it is, I don't know, it's, it's acceptable to me because Isaiah Stewart plays great defense. Like when we were talking about Kelly Olenek versus Isaiah Stewart in the starting lineup, one of the things that I was talking about was Isaiah Stewart is, he is legitimately switching one through five. And I appreciate that, but we're just losing so much. I feel like right now, the best thing would be to address it with a center who fit one fits better with Cade and two is a lob threat. So I, that's, I think that's where you have to start with, uh, this team recently, because I think Isaiah Stewart is, as much as I love him, we all love him. I think he's just kind of getting exposed out there. Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning that last season he played alongside Mason Plumlee. You can say whatever Mason Plumlee's faults are. He's tall, and he can play above the rim to a degree, which Isaiah Stewart cannot. And uh, the games which Isaiah Stewart started were almost without exception against uh, really basement teams. Uh, he, he definitely has his strengths, but... It's an overall common theme for me, basically, around this team, just in terms of the physical shortcomings it has. Stewart definitely is one of those. Like, he got eaten, really, by Rashawn Holmes again tonight. Just Holmes had no trouble really beating him on the offensive boards or just really just jumping over him. You know, any of you who watched the game, you saw it. And it's tough to see. We all like Isaiah. But you look, for example, you want to maximize Cade. Having a lob threat is very nice. You're obviously probably not going to have two seven-footers like Cleveland does, but having a lob threat of any kind is nice. But not just that. Having athletic players is so helpful if you're just going to run a productive offense at the NBA level. When we were playing against the Cavs, we saw basically they've got just a roster full of quick players. They are able to take the ball off the catch, attack with it, pass out to an open shooter or another guy who can attack off the catch, and they were just getting open opportunities galore, and the Pistons on the other end looked like they were playing in slow motion. And... This kind of extends to how Weaver built the roster to a degree. I know that this is not the finished product, but for example, outside of Cade, he's had seven draft picks. Six of them have been below average NBA athletes. Uh, this offseason, signed, his signings were Kelly Olenek, a below average NBA athlete, Trey Lyles, a below average NBA athlete, and, and then you know you kept Corey Joseph, a below average NBA athlete, and it hurts not having that athleticism. I mean, it's, it's not there just for show. It hurts. You want these guys who can attack off the ball, who can move quickly off the ball, who can elevate, you know, who can cut and so on and so forth. And the Pistons just don't have it. And especially when you have Cade in the floor, it's glaringly obvious what's missing, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And isn't it compounded by the historically poor shooting too? Oh, of course, everything is. Oh, sure it is. But the, the, the lack of athleticism, right, is especially compounded by that when you consider that even you know, uh, some of the better shooting teams, right? If their shots aren't falling, you'd like to think that that some of these top organizations have explosive athletic players who even when, you know, the field goal percentage is that the, the jump shot percentage is down, they can still move explosively off the ball. They can still catch lobs. They can still attack the basket uh, with some level of aggressiveness and, and, and find some success there. But unfortunately, outside of Cade and I guess Grant, when he decides to, 
nobody really attacks the basket with any kind of authority on this team. And, and given the fact that we can't shoot for anything, the worst team in the NBA at shooting by far, it's this is why you're getting these horrendous offensive performances because when the shooting isn't there, which more often than not it isn't, there's nothing to fall back on. There's no plan B. There's nothing else that you can go to aside from contested mid-range jumpers or threes that are just not falling. And, and, and overall, it makes for just such an exceedingly ugly product. And I listen, we saw quite a few losses last year, obviously enough to secure the number one overall pick. I None of us are strangers to watching losing basketball, but at least the team had the illusion of being competitive. At it's least been ugly. Team, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and this year, you know, not so much. And it's like, who, who wants to watch that night after night? Not me, you know, and I can't imagine that you guys do either. It's, it's just not fun right now. Not fun at all. Yeah. I will say this without leaving this conversation about athleticism and Isaiah Stewart, uh, we briefly talked about what Dwayne Casey brings. Uh, I think the one thing that I'm, I want to give him and Troy Weaver credit for, because we mentioned uh, his team building, these guys do compete night to night and it doesn't look like they're phased by their struggles they still play hard so just I, I feel like it, it's worth mentioning that uh, I, I do appreciate that still and I wanted to make mention of it but going back to the lack of athleticism and the this Isaiah Stewart thing I think it's like two separate issues you kind of have to they, they're both rooted in the same cause but on the defensive end Isaiah Stewart is not athletic enough to deny the position of a pick and roll of both halves of the pick and roll like either the guard is going to get all the way to the rim or the big is just going to elevate over him. And I think that's why he's giving up these quick fouls. It's because he can't make that decision quickly enough. And he's, it's, it's a difficult job for anybody. But if you're big enough and you show enough presence at the rim, which Isaiah Stewart hasn't been as much lately, uh, you can compensate for that. And you can stop it if you're like that good of a defensive big. And then on the offensive end, it's just so frustrating because I know Cade wants to throw lobs. It's, mm-hmm. it's Oklahoma State all over again. There is just nobody he can target. Okay. Yeah, he had he had one guy, I believe, at Oklahoma State. It was, I think, the power forward. He has a he had a more athletic lineup at Oklahoma State than he has with the Pistons. Maybe, so. There oh, was Caleb Boone, I think, was if I'm thinking of the right name. It's been a while since I've watched any of those highlights. But even at Oklahoma State, like it was difficult for Cade to get lobs. But literally, like, how, have we even how, how many lobs have we completed this gotta season? It's been what got to be thirteen games. Uh, right. Yeah, we have. I remember one. Yeah, zero consistent lob threats no. on an yep. NBA team. That's crazy to me. Not only is it just way more fun to watch, like you talk about spacing on the floor. Vertical spacing is a thing. It is another sure. threat that the Absolutely. defense has to account Heard for, it. and we don't have it. Well, yeah, I would say we have it to an if extent. If like a third. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, not much. Uh, I mean, I would, I would just say it's not only vertical spacing, it's spacing. I mean, I know I brought up this kind of a uh, trial term of, of, I know it's not lateral spacing, just athletic spacing, basically. Uh, just the ability to beat your man off the ball and get an option open for somebody like Cade, which hardly anybody can do on this team. Like, mm-hmm. hardly anybody at all. Like, you run this handoff offense around the perimeter where you're just handing the ball off and off and off again. And the idea is, I would imagine, that you hand the ball off and, it, you know, somebody is able to attack off the ball, on the ball, whatever, gain some sort of separation and help to, to help break down the defense. But instead, it's just basically players handing the ball back and forth and nothing happening because it doesn't accomplish anything. If you had a more athletic lineup, maybe you can. You saw it tonight a little bit with Hamadou, and this was in kind of the last five minutes, garbage time. But you have a guy you can hand the ball off to, and then he can just accelerate the top speed and get a pretty decent opportunity to the net. If you're handing the ball off to 
I don't know, Sadiq Bey in the handoff. He has many strengths. Burst is not one of them. Mm-hmm. You hand it off to even Josh Jackson, who's athletic but doesn't have the greatest burst. He's probably not going to get too much out of it. Uh, just going on and on. But yeah, the vertical spacing is terrible. Yeah. It's absolutely terrible. And I said this before. I, I thought even going into the season that Weaver had kind of flubbed the third string center situation. I mean, you sign a Linux, fine. I'm not a huge fan of it. But go out and get a third string center who can just jump and score it powerfully in the paint. And he decided that wasn't necessary, which is a little weird to me because then, you know, even if say Isaiah or Kelly gets injured, then you don't really have a guy who can fill in at the third string. Wiles isn't it, obviously. He didn't really do anything well besides in the best of times shoot threes. And Garza, it was nice. He, he tries his hardest, you know. Goodness knows, tries his hardest. But there are some things he can't do. Certainly catch lobs is one of them. No, no, absolutely not. And and it's it's a good thing you brought up Diallo because when I sort of by accident cut you off there uh, a few minutes ago, what I was going to say was in regards to the lack of a, a vertical threat on the team. Well, we do have one, but uh, unfortunately, he's on the bench yelling at Dwayne Casey for, for God knows what reason. Actually, no, I, I do know what reason. I, I think the reason is because, and this is, I, I feel like the two of you might share this opinion, but this is something that I've just been thinking the past three, four games, and, and it even extends to other Detroit sports like the Lions and Jared Goff, and I think that resonates with a lot of listeners. But it's like when something is so obviously not working and the backcourt both on the bench and in the starting lineup aside from Cade is not working. The lack of athleticism is not working. The lack of not being able to play above the rim is not working. It's mind-boggling to me, absolutely defiant of all conventional reality, to not turn to Diallo on the bench. I understand he didn't have the best preseason. You know, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm on record of saying that he looked lost out there because, you know, he did. But when the product that you're putting out is so repugnant, I just can't fathom not turning elsewhere. And at the very least, we can all admit that Diallo adds another dimension to the offense that certainly isn't there without him. He's in a league full of elite athletes. He is in the top 1% of those athletes. You know, Cade can throw him lobs, right? So I just don't understand why he's glued to the bench. I don't know what Frank Jackson, who's been unable to, like he's had, what, two decent games out of 12? Decent. I don't know what he offers that Diallo doesn't offer. I don't know what Corey Joseph offers that Diallo doesn't offer. If I was Hamadou, I'd be frustrated also. I mean, maybe he's going to be taking those frustrations to Sacramento. I don't know. But... I don't get it. I just don't get it. Uh, I would say as far as what he doesn't offer, I mean, Dwayne Casey decided upon this rotation early in the season or before the season rather. And that's what he does. He decides upon the rotation and it takes some time to change it. I mean, remember two seasons ago, Christian Wood, it took him some time to really get consistent playing time ahead of Thon Maker. Thon Maker. He legitimately had zero history of success in the NBA. Yeah. This is how Casey operates. I know he yep. said 20 games in, we'll get the we'll get the rotation squared up. But yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's sure it still is early in the season. But when you look at this lineup and the complete lack of explosiveness and weaving really almost across the board, then you have one of the best athletes in the NBA. Who knows what's going on behind the scenes, but he's a guy you can use. You know, run him around off-ball screens on the way to the basket. Try to get somebody to stop him while Cade uh, tosses him a bounce pass. And then he easily elevates over the defender. I mean, stuff like that. Run him on a pick and roll. I wanted Casey to do that all season. He ran him on one pick and roll tonight. And what happened? Hamadou easily got to the basket. Yeah. Sure, this is against the Kings. They still had some good players on the floor. But uh, I mean, I know we might be getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here. But I mean, I, I just, how this season has gone so far, especially 
looking at the lineup and looking at the starting lineup with a lack of athleticism has really made me think about the fact that it's really, really, really hard to run a good offense in today's NBA if you don't have if you have more than like two below average athletes in the floor consistently. And a lot of them are not. Cunningham, Hayes, Bay, Stewart, all below average NBA athletes in some capacity. So it gets you thinking, I mean, how many of these guys can you really in the long term have in the starting lineup if you want to put together a contender? Like two. Who would you move to the bench? Of those uh, of, oh. of, of those two. Uh well, I guess the options would really be Sidney Bay, Stewart. Hayes, and Stewart. Because I, I, I have move. I have my yeah. answer already. But Stewart and Hayes. Yeah, I would say Stewart and Hayes. I, I think Stewart it's pretty clear cut and obvious. Like Sadiq offers the most offensive firepower by by uh, magnitudes. Like it's not even close. And God knows we need offense. Killian has been, and this is a whole separate thing. I don't know if we're ready to delve into that now, but man, the <laughs> as much as I want him to succeed, when when you're starting point guard, and I and I understand that he you know is <laughs> he came from an inferior league. I understand about his injury. I get it. I get all of those things, but when it's commonplace for your starting point guard playing around 34, 35 minutes a game to score between zero and four points and nobody's surprised when that happens, that is, at that point, what in the, what in God's name is going on? Seriously, what in the world? Like, and so Killian's got to hit the bench and then Stewart, I mean, unless he grows two, three inches, you know, unless all of a sudden he can jump to the moon, long-term, I don't know about that fit. So I think Cade and Sadiq are the only ones safe in the starting lineup long-term right now. I agree with you that it should be, at least Killian should be in that conversation. But I was thinking about Isaiah Stewart recently. And I saw the question, what is Isaiah Stewart? He is not a pick and roll center. Like he's not even a pick and pop center. All the progress that he made last season as a jump shooter, it hasn't displayed at all this season. For whatever reason, he's not taking those shots. Yeah, but he's not a lob threat. It's, no. it's really difficult to get Stewart the ball in the in a pick and roll. And he knows it. And the defense knows it. Like, he doesn't yeah. even roll hard anymore because what's the point? He's You're not going to get it to him. And as skilled of a passer as Cade Cunningham is, like, you can tell he wants to throw the ball up. But if you're going to get the ball to Stewart in a pick and roll, you have to, like, it's got to be low. Bounce passes. Yeah, it's exactly. Be low. And Stewart has pretty poor hands, too. That, yeah, and, and, and Stewart man. has to have really good position right. on the interior because once he gets there, like he's really good at like getting the ball up to the backboard really well. Like Stewart doesn't even dunk on pick and rolls. Like no. if you're going to get the ball to Stewart in the paint, it's 99% of the time it's off the glass. He doesn't have that kind of verticality. So what he is right now is a low post player and it's, he's really good at it. Like he has decent touch around the rim. He had, I think, what, like a nine out of 10 field goal game recently. I could be wrong on that. But you don't 20, need 20 points against the Raptors. Yeah, right. And you don't need Cade Cunningham to assist you with that. If you, I think the most effective use for Stewart, if he's going to be a post player, bring him off the bench. He's still your energy guy. He's still part of your organization. And right now he's not good enough that it's like an obvious thing that he has to be a starter in the league. He's still very young and he's got promise. But I think if you bring in a better fit, Stewart could go to the bench and be a part of your organization, and he he will eat against bench centers, and that's a good role for him. And then, uh, well, here, I, I think we should move on to Killian soon, but is there anything else to say about Isaiah Stewart and kind of the deficiencies of the offense? I would say about Stewart that it, it's weird saying this, but I feel like him playing with, him playing next to Mason Plumlee kind of hit some of his deficiencies because Plumlee is not a good center. We all know it. I mean, the guy, bless him, works as hard as anybody. 
And by all accounts, just a great team guy. Not a very good center. I mean, the Pistons paid to dump him. Didn't pay much, but paid to dump him. But Plumlee, just the difference in their height and the fact that that Plumlee can play above the rim is such a big thing. I mean, Plumlee isn't really a great dunker, but yeah, he can play above the rim and you can't shovel the ball into the into the net above his arms. So yeah, that's such a big thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think it, as long as we're on this topic, uh, what do you guys think about just discussing a bit about Sadiq Bay? I mean, I, I feel like we've seen some changes in his play in the last couple of games. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I'm cool to jump in. But one of the <laughs> one of the rare positives that I'm actually talking about with a smile on my face tonight. I mean, for as much as he struggled this season, and believe me, he's struggled. Oh, he yes. has not looked great. Um, I, I would say at least half of these games, maybe more. But it's nights like tonight where he remains completely unfazed, he drains difficult shots, and he finds a way to score a substantial amount of points, even when his overall game wasn't, you know, fantastic. These are the kind of games that make me so optimistic about his long-term future as a scorer. I, I just, I can't, for, for, for as much as he struggled this season, I, I can't discount these performances because they pop up with enough um, frequency that you know it's not a fluke you know that this is something that he's capable of. And yeah, maybe he's never going to be the guy who can put the ball on the ground, uh, string together a combination of dribble moves and, you know, hit one mid-range in his defender's face. He can still be a guy who, in my opinion, can average 20 points per game. I really do believe that. And I think that's somebody that Cade can use next to him. Someone who can reliably space the floor and someone who, even when everything is not going right, is still able to score at relatively, you know, at a relatively high clip. That's, I, I just can't say enough good things about him. And, and I'm really hoping that tonight is a turning point to where we start to see some more consistency because this up and down City Bay performances are, they're, they're losing us games. They really are. So let's hope it's a turning point. I would say that his role really has changed over the last couple of games. And I think that has played a part, of course, him hitting shots too, but has played a part in his improvement. So we spoke about the Sadiq Bey new offense experiments, which was more or less just giving him the ball and asking him to create in isolation, despite the fact that, unfortunately, Sadiq, despite all, you know, has many good qualities, but he's not a good accelerator. He's not a good deceleration. He's not good at handling. He's not good at leaping. And those are four qualities that are very important. You don't have to have all of them, but are very important for isolation offense. And beyond that, there are hardly any players in the league who are consistently good ISO players. Almost all of them are all-stars. And I feel like Sadiq was just being given the ball and uh, and being told, okay, try to create something from it. And that's going to be very difficult for him. The last couple of games, he's focused more toward his strengths. He can attack some guys off the dribble. He knows who they are. Guys he can basically drive hard left on, hard right on, on the baseline, or attack from off the ball, catch it, and just drive hard to the net. Uh, and beyond that, he's just been focusing on threes, and they're starting to fall more. I can't tell if he's adjusted back toward uh, his old shot form. But I was finding it really frustrating. Uh, just the, the the offense giving him the ball and saying, okay, please do something with it because he's not really very well suited physically to that. And it was getting frustrating to watch. He was doing a terrible job of it. The guy before tonight was shooting south of 50% around the rim. That's terrible. And it's been good to see him get back to the fundamentals. And he looks a lot more confident doing it. Yeah, I guess what I would say about Bay is that I'm okay with the fact that they've experimented with him because going back to last year, <clears throat> pardon me, this is not something that any of us predicted him doing on the volume, at least, that he was uh, doing it on this year. Trimming his game down and finding the best fit next to Cade, because I think that's going to be a point of emphasis in terms of our roster construction going into the future. Uh, finding the best role for Sadiq Bey in terms of 
maximizing his strengths while also making him a multidimensional player where he's not so predictable that it eventually starts taking away from his strengths. I think that's a balance that you have to strike. Like a lot of players have, you know, a strength. Uh, a lot of those guys, it's like three-point shooting. But if you're just a three-point shooter, guys are going to just play you really close and try to deny that. You have to be multifaceted. And I, I like the fact that they're uh, taking this approach with Bay, where it's like, yes, he can actually, you know, muscle into guys and attack inside. And that makes him a harder guard because now uh, your defender has to take a step back. You have to be ready to deny Bay an easy driving lane because now you're like, if you, on the scouting report, it's like, yeah, this guy can drive. He can put his shoulder into you. And if he catches you leaning or you're not planted, he can break you down and get decent position all the way to the rim. Uh, that is something that he is capable of. But I am happy that uh, he's taking more threes. I think long-term, that is the ideal role for him. And it's not that we wanted him to stop taking threes or stop working on motion threes, but I was happy that he was trying more. Uh, but I think eventually his long-term role would be, you know, catch and shoot threes, play great defense. And then occasionally, if you have the matchup, put a shoulder into a guy and attack, because I think that is something he's capable of. Sadiq Bey is a strong dude. Uh, very happy, for sure, with what he's uh, displayed so far. Not, I'm not going to sweat the fact that he's making poor decisions this early in a rebuilding season. Uh, it's fine with me. I like that the coaching staff and Sadiq Bey are experimenting with new things. That's how you find out what you have. So... Uh, does that take us to Killian Hayes or do we have more? Uh, I think, uh, yeah, definitely Killian. I, I've been Killian's harshest critic amongst the three of us. Here's the thing. I mean, I like Killian. I've, I've said many times in the podcast before, I think that he has a good degree of potential. I think that if everything cuts right for him and development rarely cuts hundred percent right for any player, you know, just for that, just with that qualification, I think he could be like, you know, the ninth, 10th best point guard in the league. You know, that's a very good player. I mean, that would be a great outcome for Killian. But right now he's really pissing me off. And he's really pissing me off because the guy refuses to take the ball into the interior. Like, refuses to do it. I think he's done it twice, maybe three times, all of them in the same game. When I say talking about taking hard in the interior, I'm talking about accepting contact. He won't do it. And it just really bothers me because it's like, man, this is something that you have to do in the NBA. All of your teammates are doing it. And you are severely hindering the offense when you're on the floor by refusing to. Like, legitimately... One of three things happens when he is when he sees opposition in the interior. He gives up the ball. He tosses up a bad floater. Floaters aren't efficient offense for hardly you know just for hardly anybody. Is the floater an efficient shot? And it's nowhere near as efficient as a shot in the restricted area. Or he legitimately just takes the ball and runs away, and it's just a waste of time. Uh, he has been an unequivocal disaster as a ball handler. Like no ifs ands or buts. The game he had against the Raptors that went well was entirely transition and perimeter playmaking against the team missing its only good rim protector and its bulldog guard defender. So it's been real frustrating for me to watch him. Absolute bulldog, bulldog, excuse me, bulldog guard defender himself. I mean, I'm just thinking back to the days of, what do they call them? I can't remember. They had the nicknames, uh, something along the lines of bulldogs, uh, Mike James and Lindsey Hunter from the, from the championship year. So he's a great guard defender. He's been really impressive in that capacity, but Beyond that, on offense, it's basically low-volume catch-and-shoot threes, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've said this before. I'll say it again. You could be a world-class defender, and, and and quite honestly, for the aptitude for defense that Killian's showing at his age is tremendous. You know, he looks like he could be at his peak, like a first-team all-defense guy. He really does. But you could be the greatest defender who ever lived, legitimately, 
And if you're not a factor to score, you don't have a place in the NBA. I, I, I can't stress that enough. And I think the big problem with Killian is, as we've repeatedly said, as Mike so eloquently just, just discussed right now, is, is the fact that he refuses, no matter what the circumstances, he refuses to attack the basket with even a modicum of confidence and a modicum of intent to score. And Mike is absolutely right. The vast majority of Killian's points, or I, I would say maybe even all of his points that weren't straight up catch and shoot threes, came in transition. You know, just easy baskets that that came around uh, the rim. And the difference between how Killian played against the Raptors versus how he plays literally all of the time otherwise is that when he drove to the net, it felt like he had the intent to score. Or at the very least, the intent to try to score. Well, you he only did it once. He, That's the trouble. Yeah, he, he only attacked the basket once. It was through an open lane. In the Raptors? Like on, yeah, this, he, yeah, he had one, uh, one shot attempt within the arc, really? if I remember correctly. Felt like more than that. No, he, so Killian, uh, his, the single time he attacked the basket, uh, was through, that yeah, was through a fully open lane. It was an uncontested layup, could have been a dunk. Pretty much all of his playmaking in that game was either in transition or from the perimeter, pretty okay. much bounce passes to guys in the interior, passing into Stewart to, for a post up passing to Grant, uh, for a, just a jumper right within the arc. He didn't actually do any off the drive playmaking, and it's as nice as it is to have 10, 10 assists. I mean, it's uh, this was this was in a situation in which it was possible with no rim protection from the Raptors, and and Fred VanVleet being out, and yeah, yeah. Even I mean, then, he's, he's, he's still dis- in a playoff. Oh, he had to. Yeah, I, I don't want to discount. I thought it was a decent enough performance. I wouldn't go so far as to say it was great. You know, it definitely wasn't. And like I said, the bar is on the floor. And, and it was pretty depressing tonight. And listen, I'm not one to talk. I wasn't a big Killian Hayes fan pre-draft, but I was even less of a fan of Tyrese Halliburton. I thought that his ceiling was pretty severely limited by a, a number of things. I mean, you could go back and listen to those episodes if you want, but I wasn't really a fan of either of them. I was a big LaMelo ball guy, but Tyrese is in a different class of play, like a different stratosphere as a player than Killian is. And it's so depressing to see. And I mean, I listen, Everybody has struggled on offense to, to some degree. There's no doubt about that. But when Killian Hayes is your starting point guard, an effective, competent NBA offense cannot be run. That's just not going to happen. I'm not saying he's the only problem. He certainly isn't, but he's definitely not helping. I, I would go so far as to say he's either the first or second biggest problem. So as far as Killian is concerned, I, I don't know if it's the bench. I don't know if it's the G League. Um I, well, I do know it's not going to happen because Casey is married to this idea that, that Killian and Kate is going to work. And, and whether it does or doesn't, I don't know. Not optimistic about it. But the point remains that it's just not working right now. And I, I don't think the starting point guard is where he belongs. I, I don't think that's his role. Um, but <laughs> Casey is bound and determined to make it happen. So I don't know what you guys think, but I just, I've had enough with it. He's pissing Well, I agree with it. you guys, but yeah, I, I feel like I'm judging him completely differently than you guys because... In my mind, Cade is the primary ball handler, and Killian is just kind of the incidental transition secondary ball handler. I don't, I don't see Killian even attempting to create so much in the half court. I feel like that responsibility goes to Cade, and his usage rate reflects that. But we talked a few episodes about what, what should Killian be? Should he be the backup point guard? Should he be three and D, or should he still be like the primary like starting guard? I think right now you're seeing kind of a metamorphosis of Killian's role. Because he is playing a three and D role right now, effectively, and like the the assists that you mentioned, like yes, they are incidental and they are within the flow of the offense, but they're still displaying 
this recognition that Killian has for like the open man. It's not that it's their bad passes. They're, it's not the role that he was drafted to play. And that's fine. And if anything, that kind of works out for the Pistons because it's not two guys who are splitting the ball and are kind of wrestling for this one role. It's Cade Cunningham is the guy who is effectively creating offense on his own. And Killian is benefiting from that. It's not Killian trying. If I mean, if, if, if I'm just missing that Killian is trying to uh, be a primary guard and create his own advantages, sure. Maybe he is just doing it so poorly, I don't even see it. But right now, I see just Killian taking a step back, playing the combo guard role. And I'm okay with that because I feel like it's it's a more natural role for uh, his deficiencies in the NBA. Still not good enough, though. Yeah, I don't think it's good enough at all. I mean, yeah. he's... So the, the natural comparison that comes is up is Lonzo Ball, for example. Lonzo Ball, who similarly yes. could be a better player, but refuses to drive into the interior and risk contact. So Lonzo Ball is effective in three capacities. Number one is defense. Of course, defense is good. Number two is his transition and perimeter playmaking, but mostly in transition. He's good at that. And number three is shooting open threes on high volume. So useful player. He was a useful player last season for the Pelicans and useful player now for the Bulls. Now, the thing with Lonzo is that he needs to be in the right situation. That is a situation in which he is not asked to do really anything on offense uh, in the half court in terms of scoring besides shoot open threes, which means being played next to a couple of guys who are excellent creators. That's what it was with Zion and Ingram and uh, with the Pelicans. That's what it is this season with Levine and DeRozan, who as much as I, as I have pilloried DeRozan, as much as I doubted the Bulls, I still think it's not gonna, they're not going to really keep things going as they are right now, but DeRozan's been very good. So the two of them, they create a ton of space for Lonzo. Uh, Zion and Ingram did the same thing, created a ton of space for him to just shoot open threes. Now, Killian doesn't exactly have that luxury. And he's always going to be playing next to Cade, who isn't the most athletic guy. Uh, he's athletic enough, but it's not an issue. You don't have to worry about Cade's, uh, Cade's athleticism. You don't have to worry about everybody else's. So in the first place, that makes him a relatively poor fit. And if you're playing the two of them together, you really have to find your athleticism in spades elsewhere in the starting lineup. But just going back to the now, I mean, Killian, it's like, sure, you play defense. His 3 and D role, really, he shoots threes on extremely low volume. Like, not counting tonight, I believe he was attempting between two and three a night. So, I mean, the guy has still been a massive offensive minus. You can't just be a guy who's just going to shoot threes and that's it. As far as ball handling, I think the reason he was taken off of it is not just because of Kate, it's because he was, and this is a term I'm using in its literal sense, incompetent as an NBA ball handler. The offense was a catastrophe with him handling the ball because he can't do anything with it. He can't break down defenses. He would just come in. Defenses would completely not respect him. He wouldn't even try. Like MB, when you're playing the 76ers that first time, was just standing there. Wouldn't try to do anything. He's a smart guy. He knows Killian's not even going to try. Uh, so Killian just wastes time with the ball. But yeah, just shooting threes on low volume or even on high volume on this team is not going to be enough. Yes, I agree with you. And that's why I, I'm, I'm interested to see how this plays out because I don't think this is the final iteration of a 3 and D role because I do think it's it's trending that way. But think about what Killian was kind of billed to be starting like at the beginning of the season. They were still trying to run offense through him. Now they're not. Like They're slowly pulling him away from that. I think he will shoot more threes on volume because the catch-and-shoot three, like it's working. And that was one of the very few things uh, that he was actually projecting some ability with last season. On low season. volume. Like it, on low, very, on yeah, very low, on low volume, volume, it's working. Very low volume, but it's he looks so much better with his feet set. And that has carried into this season. I think you can increase the volume. 
Killian, like I, I know that like in general, you don't like sticking a guy in the corner and he's not really a factor in the offense with Killian. It's not the worst situation for him. I think he likes the corners and I think he, it's, it's not ideal because he's, he's like your fifth man on offense. And I don't know how Cade Cunningham, Sadiq Bay, and Killian Hayes, like even with their current projections, like conservatively, like maybe all three of them shoot 40% on catch and shoot threes, but how do you make that work? How do you make that trio work? Exactly. And that's, and that's including a center who I still think like, when I think about the center position, I don't think hundred uh, percent five out is effective. I think you just lose too much. If you give up that kind of interior presence on offense, you want a guy who can shoot obviously, but anyway, that's, that's another discussion. Both. That's the idea. Right. Yeah. Right. And then Jeremy Grant, like some, some of the, some of these guys have to either take drastic improvements that I don't think they can make with their athleticism or you got to start like moving guys around. Like the decision might come down to like, you have to move on from Killian Hayes. You have to move on from Sadiq Bay. And those are difficult conversations and it's not going to be something that happens right now, but I, I I'm actually excited and encouraged by what we've seen recently from Killian, because I know it's not the role that he was drafted to do, but I think it's a more natural fit for him. And in that, in that sense, I think it's just kind of working out. I think the volume on the threes will increase. And yeah, there will be nights like tonight against Sacramento where he doesn't hit anything. And in that, in that situation, yeah, he's a big zero on offense because he's not generating anything and he's not drawing space. But if he can actually knock down this catch-and-shoot three ball with some consistent consistency, uh, he does provide some value to the offense. I think he some can value. be a low-usage a uh, guy who actually benefits Cade when Cade uh, is running the offense. I think that's the I, name of the game. I think in the future it's going to so. be like, how do you build the right team around Cade Cunningham? I think Cade has already displayed that. Yeah, I, I think so. It's just with Killian, how do you get that value out of him next to Cade? I mean, he's a guy, if he's a guy who's really just going to be able to handle transition making and catch and shoot threes. I mean, you have he and Bay, uh, basically Killian and Bay, neither of them particularly good off-ball movers. Just hanging around the perimeter. Can't do anything when they're off the ball. That's yes. very little anyway when they're off the ball. It's bacon can catch some uh can catch some passes off cuts, whatever. I mean, it's just the thing with Killian, sure, you can play him next to Kate if he can hit his threes. Is he a good fit? I would say absolutely not. Like absolutely not. A, a lot of what Killian is yeah, a lot of what Killian's supposed to be is is, uh, is supposed to be the use of his core vision and his passing. But if you're gonna be playing Kate as that heliocentric center, then you know, how is that really going to be super useful to you? But you also just have to consider the the greater utility of having a guy who's actually athletic, who can explode to the basket, who can maybe attack some guys off the dribble and ideally shoot threes. Uh, yeah. Even even if Killian becomes a good three-point shooter, I mean, are you really going to get the most out of both of them playing together? I think that answer to that is very much no, even if athleticism weren't a concern. But it's like right, right. now, yeah, if you're taking like seven catch and shoot threes a game and you're sinking those on good percentage and the, and the defenses are really afraid of you there, then cool. You're more of a factor right now. He's attempting like three. And I think in that case is still a significant offensive minus and a hindrance to Cade. I agree with you. I'm not sold on the idea that killing is the, the solution next to Cade. Cause a lot of people are saying like, yeah, no, this is a perfect fit. Not there yet at all. Keep in mind, Killian Hayes was not drafted to be, Cade Cunningham's complimentary piece. He was drafted to be like a heavy pick and roll ball handler. He just isn't there. It's not some genius move by Weaver. It's just, I think Killian is genuinely transitioning into a role that is better for Cade Cunningham's game. And that's all I want to say, because yes, I do think Cade Cunningham, let's, let's move on to him because he's been great. 
And now a quick word from our sponsor. Another week of the NFL season means another shot to win big at DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can bet just $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. The last 0-0 tie in the NFL was actually in 1943, so I'd say this is a no-brainer. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, don't worry. DraftKings will not leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. They're giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TPPN, throw down $1 on any NFL game, and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a single point. That's promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Yeah. I uh, I don't think I told you guys this. So did, did you know I – so I applied to the Ontario Bar today. So I did, um, I had to put together this application. I had to go through this whole portal, write these statements, get these documents together. Got a nice little email that said, you know, congratulations on applying for your lawyer license. I screenshotted it, sent it to my parents, getting all this love back. It was like the proudest moment of my life until I watched Kate Cunningham play basketball tonight. <laughs> that became the new proudest moment of my life. Because let me tell you something about Cade Cunningham. Cade Cunningham is so good that he's made a guy, me, who was already his biggest fan, eat his words because he's better than I thought he was going to be like seven games into his career. So a few episodes ago, listeners will remember, I sort of cautioned everybody and I said, this is my bold take, but I was 100% convinced. I said, Cade Cunningham is not winning rookie of the year. He's not. He's off to too slow a start based on you know his injury and the fact that he's being eased into the rotation and some other rookies have started off very strong, yada, 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 whatever. When Cade is allowed to be Cade, he just shines, man. And tonight he was really, him and Bay were really the only lights in what was otherwise a very, very dark game. I, I, I think, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. All of the... Um, all of the deficiencies in Cade's game, all of the talking points for why, you know, maybe he's not the generational prospect everyone thought he was, the athleticism, the drawing the free throws, this and that, all of those concerns, at least in my eyes, have been put to rest. I'm not even willing to concede that he's a below average NBA athlete. I mean, seeing him run the floor in transition after grabbing a rebound, like, he's fast. He is. And that sort of in-and-out dribble move that he does, the one that froze uh, Matisse Thibel, he's been going to that a lot. And I remember thinking that's going to get figured out very, very quick, but nobody seems to have seems to have figured it out yet. He's getting to the rim with relative ease. His three point shot is starting to fall, not only at a good rate, but also from a variety of ways he can hit in the catch and shoot. He can hit off the dribble. He can hit from the fricking logo. We saw that kind of buzzer beater shot that he took um, a few games ago. And I just, it's been a while since I've seen a player. And when I say a while, I mean, never, I don't I don't remember the last time I saw a player on the Pistons with this skill set and and the fact that he's only 20 years old and he's only going to keep getting better and better and better. I mean, what did he have 25, 8 and 8 something like that tonight? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I I'll I'm going to plant my flag right right now. Cade one day is going to win an MVP. No doubt in my mind. Um you can call it premature if you want. I don't care. The guy's special. 
I agree. He's been very enjoyable to watch, and it's exciting to have a talent of his level with the Pistons. Just the way he sees the game is very impressive. I mean, he's still working out some kinks without a doubt uh, that, you know, the turnovers are an issue that sometimes he just makes passes that may have worked in the NCAA where he still would have a turnover prone, but don't work in the NBA. Uh, and I mean, bear in mind, he's still really working himself back into full game shape. I mean, it's only been playing for a couple of weeks, uh, I believe, maybe two and a half weeks, I don't know, but whatever the case. Just the way he sees the game is very impressive. I mean, if the defense gives like two inches, he's likely to find it, and he's likely to, to, to hit the, the open man. He commands it. He's really highly respected by the defenses, like highly respected by the defenses. Uh, I, I remember a play tonight. He was playing against uh, against the Kings, of course, and he uh, basically just took uh, two steps toward the interior, and he, at, after the pick, I believe, and... Even the third defender was edging, uh, was edging away from the perimeter just to make sure he'd be able to stop Cade. And of course, Cade, yeah, this was actually Sadiq Bay's defender, and he just found Bay immediately, and that was an open three. Uh, there was another instance in which, uh, I don't know, I, I don't want to try to, to try to remember exact instances and, and be wrong, but whatever the case, just his ability to find open guys and, and just to know what the defense is going to do. You know, if I do this, then this will happen. If I do that, then that will happen. And he can just see a few moves ahead. He's playing chess out there, for yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely, he is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, it, it's it's been said by you know by a lot of analysts, you know, just kind of has that it factor, uh, and it's true. I mean, the guy's really uh, just seems like a basketball genius. Obviously, also just a great teammate, a great leader, uh, very involved by all accounts with the coaching staff, even. And uh, you know, for for whatever that means, if they say he's, he's constantly in communication with them. So it's exciting to see. And uh, again, yeah, like you said, he's 20. I think he'll continue getting physically stronger. Yeah, he's he's been surprisingly good in terms of, that, you know, some acceleration in his handling. That's that double crossover uh, up to the left hand on and Anunobi against uh, against the Raptors in the last minute, I believe, was beautiful. So, yeah, I think we'll see him continue to improve even in the short term, just as he gets more acclimated to the NBA after missing all of training camp and preseason in the early stages of the season. It's exciting. Definitely. I'm, I'm a big fan. Yeah. He has turned it around so quickly and just a few things. One, he's clutch. We have that guy. I can't wait for Casey to just the role that Grant is playing right now, where it's like we, we go to Grant down the stretch and rely on him for ISOs. I can't wait for that to just that responsibility to be passed off to Cade. Uh, two, the lack of athleticism, I think, Honestly, I don't even think it matters anymore because functionally he's creating his advantages the way that an athletic and, and to the same degree of effectiveness that a very athletic player would. And he's doing it through body control. He did it to Kevin. Durant. He took Kevin Durant one on one all the way to the rim. And he did it with just like this. I think I even talked about in the last episode like this, just this little minute hesitation one way. And he froze Kevin Durant for like a quarter of a second and then took it all the way. It's It's beautiful to watch. And then lastly, I think you ha- we have our guy, like, who we can build around and who we should be building around because he's just that good. And I can't, like, it's it makes team building so much easier because you, you still need, like, a top player if you have any hope of getting a championship. And I know it's been, what, six or seven games, but really, like, he's just, the fact that he's this good this quickly, and I think he's just going to get better by nature of the fact that he is, like you said, Mike, basketball genius. He's recognizing and he's learning more and more about the NBA. You give him real talent. You give him a vertical threat. Like he's, you give him more options. That's, that's what it is now. Maximize Cade, give him as many options as possible and trust him to work with that. You need to give him 
you know, as many tools as possible and trust that he is going to be able to make use of them. I think that's where we are with Cade Cunningham right now. And I'm just so happy that he is on the Pistons. Yeah, of course, the, the, the operative concept here is building the right team around him. And I think the Pistons are a little ways away from that. Uh, but we, we've gone over that already. Yeah, we're going to, I know it's something we're going to talk yeah. about for years yeah, for to come. Because it's, for it's, sure. Yeah. Well, we've got one long-term piece already. We've got Corey Joseph. So beyond that, I don't know if we want to talk. I don't know. I don't know if we want to. We want to visit that today. Yeah. Yeah. We'll save that for. We'll save yeah. that for a special hour-long Corey Joseph extravaganza. We'll do that. Yeah. Yeah, I've only got uh, really a couple of other observations, or one in particular. And uh, you know, if, if you guys are ready to move on briefly from from Kate, we're going to get to the user-submitted questions here pretty uh, pretty soon. Uh, is Josh Jackson, whom uh, I am just thoroughly done with Josh Jackson. So I'm just kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm oh. really willing to just accept at this point that he is what he is. He's been a little bit less out of control than he was last season, but the guy doesn't make the, doesn't make very good decisions. He can't hit his threes and he still can be a little bit of a black hole. And I mean, just the not hitting his threes is enough to sink him. Uh, he's, he's pretty yeah. much the player he was last season, which is a shame. If you could hit his threes, yeah. If you could hit it, if you could hit his threes, you paid a guy ten million dollars a year, uh, you know, to score like ten points a game off the bench and play good defense. Mm-hmm. But he can't, and it's like it's a little more frustrating to me also because going into the season, it was quite possibly going to just be him versus Diallo, and Josh just Casey likes him. He's getting the benefit of the doubt. It's not working. Uh, the, the season's young, but he's not hitting his shots. He's just not hitting his shots, and if he's not hitting his shots, he's not. An NBA player, he's just he's not a positive LA NBA player. Yep, yeah. I mean, extending off of that, I guess I've got another observation too. Frank Jackson, speaking of Jacksons, I mean, I think he hit a couple shots tonight, hit a couple yeah. shots the game before, but Jackson like, too. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's it's and 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 this is my thing that I've consistently maintained is that when you have zero draft pedigree when you have zero track record aside from, you know, putting up empty stats on a bad team of being a good shooter, when you're playing as poorly as Frank Jackson is, the conversation shouldn't be, oh my God, Frank is in a slump. It should be, is Frank an NBA player? He doesn't have the leash. He doesn't have the benefit of the doubt to be playing as poorly as he is. And and this is a point that I've consistently maintained. When you're that small and your role it really effectively is just to catch the ball and, and, and hit threes and you're not hitting your threes. What utility are you serving? What are you doing out there? I mean, Hamadou Diallo, he's far from Steph Curry. I get it. But if Frank's not hitting his threes, why not go with Diallo? That's that to me is it, it, it the, the way that this backup backcourt situation has played out is so incongruent. It's so irreconcilable with what my idea is of competent team management that I just don't get it. I mean, Frank, Corey, Josh, whatever. It's just a disaster. Outside of Cade, the guard position is just a disaster. As a Frank Jackson stan, I'll just say, like, who do you replace him with? Because I, I don't like Josh Jackson. We just established. I don't think any of us like him. Hamdou Diallo, he, I don't think he worked on his three ball over the summer. At least it's not translating. Frank Jackson's archetype as a player, as a guy who can shoot movement threes and plays, I think, underrated defense even if he is small just off the bench i'd give him time i don't care like, but he's not hitting them that's the thing he's I mean, not hitting, regardless of what his a lot of guys is. aren't hitting their shots right now i, Maybe I it's agree the new with ball you, no and, doubt 
Yeah. No doubt. But Listen, Tommy, it's... no doubt he's not. <laughs> I get it. Lots of guys aren't hitting their threes. But my thing is, if you've got Frank Jackson, who's not hitting his threes versus Hamadou Diallo, who's not hitting his threes, I know which one the more useful player is. Because at a certain point, Frank's going to stop becoming a spacing threat, too. He doesn't have the track record to be shooting as poorly as he is. That's the thing especially when you yeah. don't offer anything else. I mean, I, I, I disagree a little bit on the defense, but you and I sometimes see the game a bit differently. I'll give that to you. But I just don't understand his utility if he's not hitting his shots. And I also don't see the benefit of giving him time when, you know, you got Diallo screaming in Casey's face and like, I get it. So unless Diallo is imminently being traded for Marvin Bagley, I would uh, rather go with him. That's the thing. So yeah, there's that. I mean, I think you're talking the 20-game rule, so to speak, which is what Casey said at the beginning of the season, early in the season. You know, we're not going to start making major changes until 20 games. Frank does have the capacity to be very helpful to the Pistons. He is the one and only genuinely good off-ball mover on the team, a guy who can accelerate quickly, change directions quickly, run around screens. That's true. Yeah, he, you know, even just cut to the basket, he's decent at that because the guy's quick and he's a pretty good leaper. So if you can get that working great, it opens up a new dimension to your offense, just having one of those guys on the floor. Uh, was last season a fluke? Well, who knows? And, you know, the fact is that the possibility that it was a fluke is why you only got one and one, you know, one year in a team option. And if it was a fluke, well, it's only $3 million that you committed to in this season. And, uh, you know, you're going to be finding a new team in the offseason and good luck to you. Fair enough. Yeah. But so th- that's why I think he's getting that time. It does upset me that Hamadou is not getting the time when Josh Jackson has not played well at all. Mm-hmm. And Hamadou has uh, continued to maintain has one of the highest ceilings on this team if he can get his shot together. So, yeah. Well, I think that actually is a good way to transition to the user-submitted questions because we have one that is kind of relevant to this discussion. Uh, We got one that says, if you could fire Dwayne, who would you want to hire or would you fire Dwayne? Um, So what's the question? Who would you hire? Uh, Would you fire Dwayne? Because I guess, Dante, why don't you you kick it off? Because, I mean, I know you don't like his rotation. So if, if you could fire Dwayne Casey... Yeah, here's well, here's the thing. Here's the thing with Casey is that for as much credit as we give him as a player development coach, and I mean, I, I listen. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but what I do know for a bona fide fact is that Casey's players, for the most part, excluding the the Christian Woods and the Hamadou Diallo's, they do like him. You know, he gets them to buy in. He gets them to play hard. But at the end of the day, th- there, there's a lot more to being an NBA coach than having your players like you. So. Casey dating back to his time in Toronto was just not the guy when it came to in-game management. He just isn't, you know, Raptors fans after he wins coach of the year, complaining about his rotations, complaining about his personnel usage and being completely understanding, if not happy that he got fired after a season like that, that should tell you all you need to know, you know, dedicated fans of a team who have such a strong opinion about him should tell you that this is a coach with a limited ceiling. And the fact is that that limited ceiling is a direct result of, in my opinion, a few things. Number one, he's just an an appalling offensive mind. He is a terrible offensive minded coach. And I think he gets a little political. You know, I think he plays favorites. This is something that um, the three of us have been debating for a week regarding Corey Joseph. I think Corey Joseph is one of his favorites. So regardless of how Corey plays, you know, he's going to keep trotting him out there. Regardless of how Josh plays, regardless of how Frank plays, you know, guys earn the benefit of the doubt who sometimes, in my opinion, shouldn't have earned it. But uh, would I fire him? I mean, I, I guess maybe. I, I don't imagine that Casey's going to be fired and then not be a part of the Pistons. I think he's going to be a part of the Pistons long term. I know there was some thought about him joining the front office, but as far as who I would hire in his place, I mean, 
it's not my job to choose, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't know who's going to be available, who might be out there, but that's Troy Weaver's job ultimately. And 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 quite honestly, if Casey is to step down, uh, Troy's really hitching his wagon to the next coach that he chooses. And I think it's going to be critical, not only for developing Cade and the rest of the young talent on this team, but getting this core to continue to buy in as he kind of treads some rocky waters. So I don't know if Casey's going to get fired. Would I do it? Maybe. And who would I replace him with? I don't know. I honestly, I mean, honestly, at this point, you're 13 games into a very, is it 13 games? Whatever. You're not even a quarter of a way into a frustrating season <laughs> or a rebuilding season, rather. It's been frustrating so far. And, you know, you wait and see how things go. I mean, if the Pistons were like, had not won a single game and even blown out in, in every single contest, then then you have ownership and management starting to think, well, something's got to change because this is a laughing stock. It's miserable for the players. It's miserable for the fans. No, I don't think at this point it makes sense to fire Dwayne Casey, but my goodness, do I wish that he had an assistant coach like Nick Nurse. <laughs> you have Troy Weaver who could say, okay, Dwayne, we'd really like you to let this offensive mind participate more in planning the offense because, yeah, Dwayne is a bad, I think in my opinion, is a bad offensive coach. Simple-minded, not innovative, does not adjust well, does not get the best out of his players by any means. So it's frustrating to see, especially at times like the first quarter of today's game in which it's like, okay, well, things aren't going well. Let's keep doing the same thing. Let's just have people stand still around the perimeter. That's Dwayne Casey special. No off-ball screens. He really doesn't like those. Long twos. Yeah, let's not coach shot selection for our good players. Happened with Lowry and DeRozan. Same thing happens with Jeremy Grant. Uh, yeah, it's it's frustrating. It's really frustrating. But I don't think it's a situation in which you start looking to replace the coach. No, definitely not. I wouldn't fire Casey right now. Uh, I think right when you're three and ten, you have a very young team. It's really easy for your locker room to go to. Well, it's it's really easy for that to go off the rails. And I think Dwayne Casey, what he does do is kind of keep them focused on the long-term goal. I mean, they, the team knew they were tanking last year, and they seemed fine, and they still came out and played hard. For, what, for all of Casey's deficits on a rebuilding team that kind of knows that they're not trying super hard to win right now from an organizational standpoint, uh, I think Casey is valuable just for keeping uh, the team focused and keeping them uh, grounded and not unhappy. So I, I value that. I don't think he's the long-term solution, but I value that right now. All right, so... Uh... Unless you guys have further to say, uh, anything further to say, rather, let's move on to the next one. Ignoring other guys in the team, in an ideal world, should Cade play next to another ball handler in the short term and long term? So my thoughts on this, we no longer live in, in an NBA world in which you just have the point guard doing the vast majority of the handling. I mean, uh, ideally in today's NBA, you want all the guys to be able to take the take the ball off the pass and be able to distribute just the drive and kick and kick offense. I know that Tommy loves so much from the Heat, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, Spolstra is a brilliant coach. Like, absolutely. So, no, I don't think you need to play Cade next to another, like, dedicated here, give me the ball and I'll hand it and I'll run the offense, or give me the ball and I'll make something happen sort of ball handler. No, I don't think that's necessary. I don't think you want to play him next to four guys who can't handle it at all, but that's just the reality of today's NBA. I mean, you're going to have maybe a couple guys whom you just don't want to be handling the ball, but in a successful offense, you're going to have – uh, you know, a solid two or three guys, and three plus really, who can take the ball and and drive in and pass with it. So, no, I think that's your best complement. You know, by just by cost and by fit. And you know, if you're thinking about cost, is you know you're not really 
whatever, forget cost. My answer is no. I think that Cade's going to be that heliocentric bulk, uh, excuse me, heliocentric ball handler that's that he was profiled as. And no, I don't think you need to play him next to another ball handler. I think you give him the ball and let him go to work. Absolutely, I agree with you. I think what you do is you get Cade all as many options as you can, and you trust him to make use of them. Uh, that's that's I think the winning formula with Cade Cunningham. His recognition is just it's next level. Just give him a lob threat. Give him guys who uh, he can pass to who are moving around on the perimeter. I trust that he'll find those guys and that he'll make full use of those options. So that's what I want from Cade. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. I, I think long-term, uh, most of our success is going to come from giving Cade the ball and, and like Mike said, letting him go to work. And the organization is best served, quite honestly, in, in terms of putting pieces around him. When Cade goes to work, you want him to have as many options as possible. Uh, whether or not that option is another ball handler, I mean, maybe to a small degree, but overall, I, I would say I agree with you guys. He can get it done himself, and it's just about putting the right players around him. Definitely. All right, the next question is, if you could bring any former Piston back that's still in the NBA, who would it be and why? And you can't choose the same answer as someone else, so I'll let somebody else go first. I'll start out, and uh, I would say, you know, with, without regard to what he's paid right now, I would say it would be Tobias Harris. I know Chris Middleton's an easily an easy answer, so I'm going to avoid that one. Uh, I love Tobias, always have. I mean, the guy to me is just, uh, you know, beyond what he can do on the court, is a model sportsman, a great teammate, and just a great guy overall by every account, by anything that's ever been said about him. Uh, as far as what he can do on the court, I mean, you think about this guy next to Cade taking the ball off the pass. He can do anything with it. He can shoot pull-up threes. He can shoot pull-up jumpers. He can drive to the net. He's athletic. He's quick. And uh, he'll do literally whatever the coach wants him to do in the offense. So I, I think he's one of these secondary scorers who would really just function super well next to Cade. Defensively, he doesn't really have it quite as much. And he's also paid an enormous amount of money. But if we're if we're talking without recourse to salary, yeah, I'd love to have. Uh, I think Tobias would be such a great fit next to Cade. And, and just he's just such a good a good good guy to have on your team. You do, however, have to have a coach who's going to tell him to do stuff because he defers to the offense kind of to a fault. But Doc Rivers has done a good job of that, both with uh, the Clippers and the Sixers. It can easily be done with the right coach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that was a good one, Mike. I'm going to have to go with uh, Jaleel Okafor. Uh, no, I'm just completely. <laughs> I'm completely. Took mine. I was going to say, let's get that number one pick again. Well, may as well, eh? I mean, in all seriousness, I would probably, yeah, Middleton's the easy answer. I would probably go with Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, I liked Dinwiddie when he was here. Uh, he obviously didn't show nearly what he showed when he left. I mean, the, the the players who pretend that Dinwiddie was very obviously a star in the making. I mean, I think that's a bit revisionist. I don't think it's true. But this current iteration of Dinwiddie, I think, would be you know, in a pinch, a really good player uh, next to Cade. And I think that running the bench offense, man, he would be, I think he'd really change the dynamic of this team a lot. And I, and I like his personality. I like his attitude. I think he'd be a lot of fun. My hesitation with my answer is that I really like the DNA of the team and the fact that they're kind of all built within the purpose of like hard-nosed defense. Uh, but I'm still going to go with Christian Wood. I think he would cover up a lot of the deficiencies of this offense. He is a lob threat who can jump out of the building, shoots the three ball well. I think he could play the power forward. I like him more as a center, but I think he could play the power forward just as well. And I really miss having him on the team. He was a fun player. I watched his highlights so many times over that summer where we were like kind of in limbo on signing him. But Christian Wood, this is a good question. I think we would all like obviously take Chris Milton. He fits the team really well. But uh, outside of Chris Milton, I guess uh, it's those three guys. 
Yeah, I would qualify just with regard to Wood. Uh, I have never been sold on his attitude and, and just his, 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 I don't like the word maturity, but just how he would conduct himself as a teammate. I was wary of it even when, when he was with the Pistons. And there have been some cracks, it seems, with the Rockets. So that, that was, that, that's one of the things that kind of warned me off from Wood. Uh, but I agree, you have him playing as the center next to, next to Caden in this roster. You're much better suited offensively, without a doubt. Be a lot of fun, too. It would be fun. Christian Wood was fun to watch play. I think um, if you guys are good on, on that, we can move into what I think is the last question here. Uh, yep, last question. Your, yeah, last question. What is your ideal timeline for the Pistons moving forward? I, I assume this question means timeline is in where and when do we fit these pieces into the eventual hopeful run to a championship? Um, I mean, I would probably break it down like this. I think despite how bad... You know, me personally, I wanted to make the plan. I think we're probably headed for another top five pick this year. Uh, really, what you want to do right now is just let Cade kind of work. Hopefully, he accrues enough stats to win Rookie of the Year, and 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 he has a nice, you know, little baseline to work off what potentially could be a Hall of Fame career. And then next season, you know, you got Blake's money coming off the books. I would like to see um, another... How do I want to put this? A player who at the very least could maybe potentially take over a game, you know, a high level score. I'd like to see us add that guy with the boatload of extra money we're going to have and maybe potentially be a play in team next year, maybe sneak into the eighth or seventh seed. And then year three, you know, so two seasons from now, I'd like to see us maybe win a playoff series or at least be competitive in the playoffs and then up and up and up and up from there. So that's sort of the timeline I'd say we're operating on right now, at least in my mind. I would say probably uh, just in terms of salaries coming off the books and, you know, when you actually try to go in on free agency and make a big splash, it looks like 2023 is kind of it by default. So it gives you, you know, this season into the 2022 draft. And then depending on how good the Pistons are, maybe you get another good pick in 2023. And at that point, you really start to, spend that cap space that you've shepherded into that free agency and hopefully guys are available. Obviously you don't want to see it be a situation like it was with Dumars who uh, was like, you know, have cap space, spend cap space, even if it's on guys you should not be spending cap space on. Uh, Another thing about 2023 is it is the last season uh, before, at least when it comes to Bay and Stewart. Uh, So they'll, they'll come up for uh, contract extensions in 2024 excuse me, for, for new contracts. Uh, so, you know, if you're going to pay them any money, that's, that's going to factor into things. Grant does come off the books in 2023. You can decide what to do then. If you keep him, there is a large cap hold, though. That, that, will, that, that would come into play. But nonetheless, I think, I think that's where you have to go. Yeah, I agree with you, Mike. 2023. Uh, 2022, I'm just looking ahead at this draft, and there aren't any super obvious fits. And even if there was, like, your chances of getting, like, a great fit, because that's obviously a great player you're talking about, chances of that are slim. I know everybody's talking about Jaden Hardy. He hasn't been shooting it super well thus far. He's displaying his range. But even defensively, I don't think he fits super well. Uh, Paulo Boncaro, I a lot of what he is is not – it's not so much athleticism. It's – he was a point guard in high school. He has point guard skills. But if you're talking about you want Cade Cunningham running everything, is he really the best fit? Chet Holmgren, he's like 80 pounds soaking wet. Uh, Jabari Smith moves a little bit slow for my taste, but I think he's a Weaver guy. Like, I'm keeping an eye on him. Just, I I love the draft. And right now, I don't see a guy who takes us to the next level in one season. But 
granted the college season just started and we don't even know at all where the Pistons are going to end up picking. But so with that in mind, I think 2023 is a more highly regarded draft. There is a little bit more hype behind that one. That's Amani Bates. That's uh, Victor Wembanyama. And I'm sure there will be other great names. And I think if you punt one more season, uh, you don't draft a guy who immediately raises your season uh, ceiling rather in 2022. You have all that money coming off in 2023. You trade some depth for some talent. Uh, I think that's your chance to really pivot and kind of try to explode out and uh, attack the East. And I think that's when uh, you're just focusing on internal growth for a few years. And that's uh, your timeline to actually try to contend. And the thought of that is very, very exciting. I feel like we have a good start here. There are a lot of decisions that need to be made, uh, ceilings and roles and contributions that need to be considered. But that's what I love about this stuff. And we love talking about it and can't wait to get to all that stuff when we when we eventually get to. So good question. It was a fun Q&A. All right. Any final thoughts? Uh, yeah, we got to wrap this episode up. I got to go hang out with my boy, Corey. We're just, we're just going to go get a bite to eat. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Late night in the town. <laughs> yeah. All right, folks. Well, uh, thank you for listening to Driving to the Baskets. We will catch you in the next episode.